be seated. I invite you to join now in taking your copy of God's Word and turn with me to our passage this morning, which we find in Hebrews chapter 4. So Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. Because if you have joined us here in the past few weeks and months, you know, we are in the midst of our study of, of looking at the church, uh, church 101 in a sense of trying to better understand who we are, who God has called us to be, and what he has called us to do. And we are in the middle of looking at this through, uh, through the ministry of the means of grace, these means that God has given to us to guide us and to direct us in how we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That God so loves us, he so loves you and me, so loves his church, he doesn't call us to follow him, but doesn't. But then doesn't give us directions, he doesn't leave out there for us to just kind of each make up our own way. He so loves us, he so cares for us, and he says, here are the best ways, the best means for you to know me better and to live more faithfully for me. And these means of grace are his word and prayer and the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and Baptism. So these are the means that God's given to us to draw us closer to him and to help us live more faithfully for him. And so in this, we have discussed God's word. We discussed the sacraments. And so this morning, we now turn our attention to prayer as we see it as the God-given means of grace for us as his sons and daughters and for his church. And we will look at that uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 this morning. So... Hopefully you found that in your Bible, so let me pray for our time together now. Lord, we come to you this morning as a people who need your word. We are spiritually hungry. Uh, We are spiritually uh, needy of it. We have had a week. Maybe for some of us it's been a long week, but there have been struggles with sins, maybe struggle uh, with faith, with anxiety, with despair, with depression, with doubts. We are your people who are living in a fallen world. And we need this time now. We need this time where you meet with us in your word, where we hear from you, and we hear more about you, and be encouraged in this, and to be encouraged in living those lives of your disciples, of obedience, Jesus saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, Lord. May we hear more about your love this morning, so may we respond in love through growing faith, growing knowledge, growing grace, and growing obedience. Bless us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Let's stand together now for the reading of God's word. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The grass withers and the flowers fade. The word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. One of the best jobs I've ever had, besides this job, besides being God's pastor, this is the best job I've ever had. 
But besides this, the best job I've ever, one of the best jobs I've ever had is a job I had the summer before I went to college when I was hired to be a security guard for ice cream trucks. Doesn't that sound wonderful to have on your resume? What makes you qualify for this job? I was spent three months as a security guard for ice cream trucks. Now, sadly, they didn't give me a uniform and a gun. You don't really need a gun to guard ice cream trucks. But my main responsibility all summer was I was to go out every hour, and I was to go out to the trailers for the 18-wheelers that were refrigerated, and every hour I was to make sure they were at 32 degrees because all of those trailers were filled with Briar's ice cream. And come Monday morning, they would be hooked up to the trucks and they would be driven up and down the southeast to deliver Briar's ice cream. So that summer, I was actually working two jobs. I worked Monday through Thursday delivering pizzas for Sergeant Pepperoni's Pizzeria. One of the best restaurant names ever, right? Sergeant Pepper's Only Heart Club Band album, Sergeant Pepperoni's. We even had uniforms with stripes and stuff on it for Sergeant Pepperoni's. But anyways, uh, and the stories I could tell from that, that was the best for another time. I had to work there, delivering pizzas Monday through Thursday, and then on Friday, I would switch over to being an ice cream security guard. I would go to work at 7 p.m. on Friday evening, would work 12 hours, so 7 a.m. Saturday morning, go home, grab a few hours of sleep, go back that afternoon, that Saturday afternoon, work from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m., and work the same hours on Sunday. I did that all summer long. Now, one of the perks of the job was in the room next to my little security office was a freezer that was filled with cartons of Briar's ice cream. Chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, cookies and cream, you name it, it was stocked from top to bottom, front to back, filled with ice cream, and it was all free for the taking. First day of the job, they took me around and they showed me a freezer, stocked, jack full, jam full, of ice cream and they said you can take you can eat as much take as much as you want to all this ice cream is for you and I worked there all summer do you know how much ice cream I ate that summer none I didn't eat a single bite of ice cream never even opened the fridge I already heard a word of astonishment over here what here's some of us who cannot imagine being next to a freezer full of Briar's ice cream and not taking any of it. And I don't know why. I, I wish I had a good answer for you. I wish I could tell you I was lactose intolerant. Or I'm more of a Ben and Jerry's fan. I, I wish I could tell you. I have no good answer for you. I just wasn't interested. I, I knew it was there. I like ice cream now and then. I, I just didn't partake of it. Right there. Yeah, never enjoyed any of it. The thing is, we... We can treat prayer the same way, can't we? We have this God-given means of grace. It's readily available whenever we want it. It's God's goodness to us. And yet we can struggle with praying, can't we? Finding the time, finding the motivation, even finding the desire to pray. We know it's good. We, we know it's good for us. We know it's right there. Yet we struggle with it. And we see that in the greater church. You know how many churches over, say, the past 20, 30, 40 years have cut out their prayer service? Their, their, their midweek prayer service? I'm very thankful for this church that we have that. But one of the first things a church will cut 
is the midweek prayer service. As a people, as a church, we struggle with praying. And it may be because of how we think of prayer. It may be that we tend to think of prayer like a vending machine instead of it being a part of our relationship. That, that prayer is that vending machine that we go to only when we need something or when we really want something. Right? I mean, it's, just, it's just something that's there for, for our disposal whenever we feel the need or the, desi- or the desire for it. But we don't see it as a vital part of our relationship with God. We don't, we don't see and understand how good prayer really is for us, how good it is for our life, how good it is for our faith. And therefore, prayer has become one of the most neglected disciplines of Christians in our day. Probably for, for many of us, if not all of us, we've neglected it, we struggle with it. J.C. Ryle, who wrote this back in the 1800s, said this, Yes, if you pray. It's just one of the things assumed as a matter of course, but seldom practice, a thing which is everybody's business, but in fact hardly anybody performs. He said that back in the 1800s. John Piper just said this in the past year or so. One of the great uses of social media will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from lack of time. We are marked by struggle of prayer. We know it's something we ought to do. We just don't always take the time to do it. And what do we find? We find this is what God has given to us as a means of grace. That prayer is a means of grace. God has given us prayer from grace and for grace. Given by God to us because he wants us to be sure of him. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to draw strength from him so that we can fully live for him. It's for our good. We mentioned last week about sacraments. If we ever wonder where we can be sure to find the Lord, he's told us. Word, sacraments, and prayer. Where, where, where do we find the Lord? We, we find him in prayer. These means that have been given to us as his children and for us together as his church. I found this quote this week from a pastor. It's a lengthy quote, but just kind of bear with me about what it means to be an ordinary means of church, ordinary, or ordinary means of grace church. He says this, an ordinary, ordinary means of grace church, it's a church that focuses on doing the things that God the Bible says are central to the spiritual health and growth of his people, and which aims to see the qualities and the priorities of the church reflect biblical norms. So what will a church look like that is committed to the ordinary means of grace? It will be a church that is characterized by love for expository biblical preaching. We'll have a passion for worship. We'll delight in truth. We'll embrace the gospel. We'll rejoice in the Spirit's work of conversion. And we'll see a growing life of godliness. There will be robust family religion. There will be emphasis on biblical evangelism, biblical discipleship, biblical church membership, mutual accountability in the church, biblical church leadership, and desire to be a blessing to the nations. That's a lot. That's a mouthful. But hopefully you heard enough to hear that's the church you want. That's who you want to be a part of. That's who you want to contribute to. That this is our heart's desire for Bethel ARP. Because it's a church that's serious about God. 
Serious about his glory. Serious about the joy of being his people. And right there in this is a church that's committed to prayer. That's filled with disciples of Jesus who are committed to prayer. We just affirmed that prayer is one of the most neglected disciplines of Christians in our day. I think I can speak for all of us. We have struggled with prayer. When do I pray? When do I find time to it? How how do I pray? What what do I pray for? Do I have to pray out loud or can I pray in my mind? Do I have to close my eyes or not? Can I pray while I'm driving? We know about prayer. When you're in the church long enough, you know you should be praying. But the when, the how, the what, we can struggle with. And I think, as I've thought through this and, and talked around with it, I think part of the issue we have with prayer comes from grace. Prayer is is a means of grace, but we face the temptation, we struggle the temptation to think of grace as a as a thing or a feeling we obtain. Right? We know it's wonderful, we sing it, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I would, we, we know it's wonderful, but but maybe if we're honest when we think about grace, we think about grace because we, we want it so we don't have to go to hell. Or we want it because we want to lead a happy life. We've heard good things about grace, and so it's something we want to, to possess. And so if we think about it in sort of that possessive sort of way, of trying to do better for it, trying to obtain it, then I think we can struggle with prayer. Because then prayer becomes a duty, becomes a chore, it becomes something we, we mark off along all the other things, to try to get this good life we think comes from grace. But as we've discussed before, a full-orbed understanding of grace is that it's first and foremost a person, Jesus Christ. Biblically speaking, we, we don't start with grace as a thing, it's a person. As we've talked about from John's prologue, Jesus Christ is one who is full of grace and truth. We're talking about that doesn't mean that, that Jesus Christ was, a, was an empty glass and then God poured into him, the Father poured into him uh, grace and truth. That's John's way of saying Jesus Christ is grace. Jesus Christ is truth. So for us to understand grace, we have to understand that Jesus is the incarnate grace of the triumph of God. The, the, the equation is Jesus is grace and, and grace is Jesus. That's the biblical foundation of understanding grace. So that changes the whole paradigm, doesn't it? No longer is it something we possess. It's not a thing we go out like Indiana Jones looking you know, for some artifact out there. You know? uh, it's not something we're going to go out and possess. It's a relationship. It, it, it's a relationship with Jesus Christ. Knowing your Lord and Savior, the one who is grace for you, and then we're given these means of grace so we can best grow, as Peter says, we can grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus to become more and more like him, to draw closer to our God. It's about a relationship with God. So, so, so grace doesn't point us necessarily to, to chores and to duties. It points us to a relationship with God. Here's what it means to be in relationship with him. These means given to us as God changes us from, from being his enemies and rebels to being his children, 
these means given to us to, uh, to help us that we've walked so long in disobedience that we can now walk more and more in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. It's about our relationship with God. What it means when God says, you love because I first loved you. When Paul says the summary of his life, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What it means to be a child of living God, to then to triumph God as, as the father and the elder brother and, and, and our comforter and teacher. It's about how we relate to God. And prayer is part of that bullseye of growth of grace. God in his grace gives us the means of grace of prayer to draw us closer to him. Because think about the very, just the basic nature of prayer. What, what do we do in prayer? We, we, we talk to our God. We are communicating with him. He talks to us through his word and we respond in talking to him through prayer. And it is for our good. As I've shared with y'all before, Beth and I met in college. And we started dating after having a friendship so, which means we dated as broke college students. So there was no weekly going out for a nice dinner and to a show or to a movie. No, more often than not, we would go eat in the cafeteria or the student center. And then we would go for a walk around Winthrop. Very nice neighborhoods. And there's a very nice park, Glencairn Gardens. And so Beth and I would go out for walks. We'd just walk around. We'd look at houses. We'd walk through the park. And we would talk and get to know each other. That was a good, bar, good bit of our relationship. That was a lot slimmer then too because we walked so much. But I am fully convinced that that helped our relationship grow to what it is today. Because we spent that time in communication. Because we got to know each other. And so because of that, now when I come home, and find out my son has broken a window in the manse because he is throwing a ball like he was told not to, Beth knows how to talk to me to calm me down from throttling that child. But communication is good for any relationship. It is key to any and every relationship. Do you know what the number one reason is for divorce? It's not adultery. It's not money. It's not differing needs. It's communication. There's some estimates that somewhere between 65 to 70% of divorces are because of problems with communication. So if communication is that key to our earthly relationships, how much more it is for our relationship with God? He is faithful to speak to us. And that's his word. And we are called to be faithful and responding by speaking to him through prayer. Because in this speaking, in this communication, he uses us, he uses it to help us grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Do you want to be more like the one who so loved you, who died for you, who lived for you, who did all things necessary for your, for your salvation? Then pray to him. It's what God's given to us to help us grow in Christ's likeness. So if we struggle with prayer, so think of it as a chore, as a duty. Think of it through that lens of Christ. Why do we pray? Because Jesus Christ is the grace of the triumph God incarnate. And we've been given this God-given means of grace of prayer that helps us be more like Jesus. 
It's not just flipping a coin into a fountain and wishing for the best. We pray because God has given it to us. We communicate to Him. He helps us grow to be more like Jesus. So prayer is no more like a vending machine. Prayer is meant to be a part of our growing relationship with God. Because through praying, we're being made to be more and more like Jesus. And that's why and so many pastors, so many theologians over the years have said, and we can agree with them, hopefully we can agree with them, that prayer is one of the greatest privileges God has given to believers in Jesus Christ. Because think about it, we're able to pray to him and it changes us, but we also look at our Hebrews passage, we're finally getting to that, and we find our encouragement to pray here. Because what do we find? Let me give you just a summary of what the writer of Hebrews says here. The summary is this, Jesus so loves you and me that he is always praying for you and me. As I said, we said before, there is no greater act of love than to pray for someone. There's no greater act of love than to faithfully pray for a person. And the summary of our passage is that Jesus is always praying for you and me. He's at the right hand of the Father. And he so loves you and me, he prays for you and me individually. And he doesn't, it's, not, it's not like, Lord, uh, Father, okay, I pray for Bethel ARP. And he goes on to other churches. No, he prays for us by name. He prays for us as, as, as the one who lived for us, who died for us, was resurrected for us, and ascended for us. Jesus so loves you, he prays for you. Now the writer of Hebrews is talking about this in terms of Jesus being our great high priest. We think through our confession and things we've learned along the way. There's three offices of Jesus, prophet, priest, and king. And one of Jesus' duties as our great high priest is to pray for us. And look with me again at, at our passage. Look again at verse 14. It tells us where Jesus prays for us. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So where is Jesus praying for us? He's praying for us in heaven. So what the writer of Hebrews has done here, he's kind of given us a summary statement. And what he says is that Jesus has been raised and ascended, and he sits at the Father's right hand, where he now ministers as our great and eternal high priest. But another way for us to think of it is Jesus has the Father's ear. Jesus always has the Father's ear. And what does he do with it? What's he do with that, that position? What's he do with that responsibility? He prays. Jesus, from the moment he is, he is ascended to the moment he comes back in the second coming, is praying. And he's praying for you. And he's praying for me by name. And we look at Romans 8. And we find that he also, through the Holy Spirit, takes our prayers and he prays them for us. He is interceding for us. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much he's committed to you. That he sits at the right hand of God to pray for you. And here's one of the wonderful implications of his incarnation, of his being born, as we heard earlier, in that manger in the Bethlehem is he prays for, for us as one who intimately knows us. Because he was born fully man. He's fully God, but he is also born fully man. 
And so he can sympathize with every temptation and all of our weaknesses. Yet here's where he's different from us. It's right here where it says, he never sinned. We sin. Okay? We fall into temptation. Some of you may have eaten your way through that freezer full of ice cream over the summer, right? You would fall into temptation to eat as much ice cream and make yourself sick, right? We fall into temptation. We have our sinful weaknesses. Yet Jesus never sinned. And the one who never sinned, who is the great lover of your soul, is the one who is faithfully praying for you even now. Some of us have been blessed with Christian fathers and mothers and grandparents. And we heard them pray for us. And you may remember their prayers. And you've been affected by their prayers. And those are but a shadow of the prayers of Jesus for you. Because your parents and your grandparents didn't pray for you 24-7. They haven't been praying for you for 2,000 years. And Jesus has. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us this to encourage us in our prayers. We look at verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Confidence is the key word there. Not cocky. Not having that cocky strut like you walk around heaven. Having a confidence that this is how much you are loved. If you know you are that loved, then you have confidence to pray. Because this is your Jesus who loves you. And this is what he has done for you. And this is what he will do for you. And the writer of Hebrews gives us the idea that the gates of heaven are thrown wide open to our prayers. We don't need an appointment. We don't need to put in a calendar. We don't need to knock and say, Jesus, are you available? For us, as his people, the throne of heaven, the gates of heaven are thrown wide open. So with confidence in God, then we pray. If this is our Jesus, and this is how much he loves us, then we can have every confidence to go to him in prayer. So, Prayer changes us. It changes us to be more like Jesus. And in that confidence of who he is, then we find we're praying more. If you know you're that loved, if you know you're that careful, if you know you're that much prayed for, then you're going to pray more and more. That's why Paul exhorts us to, to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean we're to spend every waking moment in prayer. For them, we, we wouldn't have time to fulfill other aspects of God's will. The apostle here is intending for us to approach all of life in a spirit of prayer. When do we pray? We, we pray in good times and bad, in our everyday activities, in our special occasions, right? We, we pray for all things at all times. Imagine there's somebody in your life, uh, your spouse, a sibling, uh, a friend, somebody who you talk to all the time. And it's that sort of relationship that whenever something happens, one of your first reactions is, man, I can't wait to call and tell this person about it. It could be something big and monumental. It may be something you heard on the radio. It may be something very mundane. But it's that sort of relationship where you think, man, I can't wait to tell them about that. And that's how prayer is meant to work for us. Man, I can't wait to talk to God about that. I got that raise. I found my keys. I didn't burn the casserole. I didn't throttle my child. 
I can't wait to tell God about this. The more we pray, the more our relationship with God grows. And the more that relationship grows, then the more we will grow to be like Jesus. And in that growth and change, then the more we will want to talk to Jesus. The more we pray, the more we'll want to pray. The more we pray, the more we want to communicate with the one who is grace incarnate. So that is our encouragement to pray. And that encouragement comes from grace. It comes from Jesus Christ. One of the monumental things Paul teaches us about prayer, we find in Scripture, of course, is that all of our prayers find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in the name of Jesus. Because he is grace incarnate. And he is the one who is praying for us even right now. And the one who calls us to pray knows our struggle with prayer. So we said in Romans 8, that's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes all we can utter is, God, dear God, Sometimes all we can do is tears. And the one who so loves you takes even those silent, tearful prayers and he perfects them. And he prays them to the Father. He takes our prayers and he makes them perfect. We don't need to be intimidated by prayer. We don't need to be overwhelmed by prayer. It's all because of grace. Jesus Christ, who is grace incarnate, has called you to pray in grace. Sometimes it's the Lord's prayer, sometimes it's just silence. We need only come to it through faith and know that grace reigns in it and we will grow in grace and Christ-likeness the more we pray. Pray with me now.